Turn your books to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read two um, small portions of Scripture out of Matthew 6. After we pray. Father, thank you for you. We're so grateful to you. We're so grateful for your kingdom. We're very grateful for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for another day, another opportunity to draw close to you, to experience your presence and your goodness, your grace. And Lord, we just want to, our desire is to experience you and to be changed and to become more effective servants of your kingdom so that you will be glorified and men will be drawn to you, Father. So I just pray that we will have hearts today to embrace what you're wanting us to embrace and that we'd have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Thank you, O God, for your anointing, for your utterance to go forth and for us to embrace it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look over at verse 33. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He was talking to his disciples about not worrying about things, whether it's food, clothing, shelter, the the basic necessities of life that they were concerned about. And he says, guys, don't worry about these things. Put God's kingdom first, seek his kingdom first, and then God will take care of these things. How many of you have heard me read these passages before? Anybody? Sound familiar? Some of you may think these are only two verses I know. That's not quite true. But what I want to share with you today is what New Covenant is going to be about. You know, many of you may be wondering, or you should all be wondering, uh, you know, new leadership, new vision. So what's this church going to be about? What are we going to be known for? And I feel like the Lord has told me to now time to begin to share that. And it's interesting because as I was thinking on these things this week, Thinking of things that have just been bubbling up and just coming out and just bursting out. I realize that these things have been on my heart for a very, very, very long time. And so it's not just a brand new thing. It's not just, oh, okay, I got a new vision. But it's something that God's been developing and building in me for years. Matter of fact, even back in the youth group, I would talk about some of these things where these things would come out. And so I realized that this is um, that these these things God does want to express through this body. So what are we going to be about? New Covenant Fellowship. We're going to be about building his kingdom. 
this verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom coming. Jesus told his disciples to pray in this way. That his kingdom would come and be established here on earth. So we're going to be about becoming kingdom builders. Being kingdom builders. His kingdom being established in our lives. In every, every aspect of our lives. We're going to be concerned about seeing and being a part of God's kingdom, being manifest and established here on earth. That's what Jesus told us how to pray. In other words, the things that are in heaven, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he made provision. God, there is a channel, there is an open heaven, open door for those things up there to be manifest here. You know, for example, area of healing, you know, by his stripes, we were healed. Jesus made provision for healing. And when he said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you think, is there sickness in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? So when he's saying your kingdom come and be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then he wants his mani- the manifestation of his healing to be brought here on earth. And if you look at the life of Jesus and his example, and Jesus is our example, amen, he is our ultimate example. When we look at the Bible and we see what we should be doing and what we should be moving towards and who we need to model and pattern ourselves after, there's only one person in the Bible, and that's Jesus. There are some great apostles and all that, and they're, they're all that, and they're good. But Jesus is our example. Amen? And if you look at what Jesus did, he went about, he preached, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before he said that, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went about demonstrating the kingdom. The kingdom was manifest where he went. And how do we see it manifest? We saw it through healing, through deliverance, through people's dignity being restored. Through hope being restored to people. You know, one of my favorite stories is the leper. And you've heard me share this in the past many times. The leper, when Jesus is coming and the leper bows down and begins to worship Jesus. And he says, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. You can make me whole. If you want to. So he knew Jesus had all power. He was able to. But he says, if you want to. And Jesus, we see his example in the Bible where there were people who were sick and people would come to visit Jesus and say, hey, could you, could my daughter is at home possessed or I have a servant and, you know, they were ways away. And Jesus said, it's done. It's done. So he didn't even have to go. He had the authority to speak it and it was done. You remember that? So here we see a leper who, no telling what he looked like. We don't know the stages of his leprosy, so we don't know if his limbs were falling apart or what. But the man was probably a mess. And the reality was that depending on how long he had leprosy, let's just assume, you know, a few years, no human being had contact with him. So let's say if it was five, 10, five, 10, 15 years, he had leprosy. So he had no human contact for that long. And then he bows down to Jesus and says, if you want to, you can, you can make me clean. And then it says, Jesus says, I want to. And Jesus is standing over here and the leper's over there and he didn't say, I want to be whole. He just reached out his hand and just speak the word, which he could have. But Jesus went over and touched him. He said, I want to be whole. He touched him. And what I believe he was doing more than healing his body is he was restoring his dignity. Saying, you are a valuable human being. I know you haven't been touched or embraced in a long time, but I'm going to touch you. I'm going to embrace you. And see, that's what the kingdom's about. 
That's what the kingdom of heaven is about. It's about restoring people's dignity. It's about restoring hope, life, encouragement. What the enemy has come and robbed and just shattered and just beat people down. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We believe that. He's the same. So what he did on, when he was here on earth was a demonstration, I believe, and an example of what he wants to continue to do. If Jesus were here now, if he were to ma- uh, physically manifest himself on this earth now, what do you think he would be doing? Anybody? What's that? Teaching. What else? Healing. What else? What was that? Restoration. Okay, what else? Being a friend. That's good. What else? Now, how do you know that? Because that's what he was doing, right? All those things that you said, that's what he was doing. And the Bible says he's the same. So if he were to physically, if he were to physically manifest himself, he would do the same things. Well, guess what? He's here through you and me. So guess what he wants to do? The things that you just said. But he wants to use your bodies to do it. He wants to use my body. Bill Wood shared a, a, a neat story, and he shared it here at this church years ago. But he shared it again at the minister's conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I love this testimony. But he said he was, um, he was at home and, and um, I can't remember if it was, it was some kind of yard work that uh, his neighbor needed. He looked out the window and he saw that, I don't know if it was leaves or whatever, but the neighbor's yard could, could definitely use some work. And I believe there's an elderly, elderly lady there. And the Holy Spirit spoke to um, uh, Bill and said, I want to do yard work for Miss So-and-so, and I want to use your body to do it. Jesus said, I want to serve this person, but I want to use your body to do it. Will you let me? So what Jesus is about today is the same things he was. He says, you know, I want to heal that person. I want to restore dignity to that person. I want to love on that person. Can I borrow you to do that? Is that okay? Can I use you to do that? And see, that's what he wants to do. And everything he did, he went about giving glimpses and manifesting the kingdom of heaven, what it looks like. God's favor, God's love, God's manifest joy, peace and righteousness, all those things. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. That's what he's about. And there's, there's many times the kingdom of heaven is mentioned in the Bible 120-something times. <clears throat> Jesus is about his kingdom. He's the same. And he wants to continue to manifest his kingdom through his people, and that's you and me. Amen? So you need to begin to see yourself as a kingdom builder. That's what you are, a kingdom builder. Now, you are a kingdom builder, but you just happen to look like a professional welder. That's what you look like, but you are a kingdom builder. Now, you look like a stay-at-home mom, but you're a kingdom builder. 
In other words, we have all these disguises. Whether we're a professional, a, a, a lawyer, a doctor, a mom, a dad, we have all these disguises. But we are all kingdom builders. And we need to begin to change our thinking and begin to see ourselves in that way. That we are kingdom builders. So everywhere I go, wherever I'm, wherever I'm at, wherever I happen to be at that time, my job is to manifest his kingdom right there. So if I'm at work, whatever my task is for my employer, I need to do that with all my heart as unto the Lord, not unto me. I need to serve and not be slacking off and goofing off and that kind of thing. You need to work to make your employer successful. That's what you need to be doing. But at the same time, you need to be saying, Lord, how do you want your kingdom to be manifest here in my office or in my job today? That needs to become our mindset. Amen? Kingdom builders. Kingdom builders. And you're going to begin to hear this quite a bit. Hopefully you won't get tired of hearing it. But when you begin to see yourself, I am a kingdom builder. That's what I am. But I just happen to be working as to what a life services right now. But I am a kingdom builder. So you may ask, well, what about missions? Are we going to be still involved in missions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because seeing, being a missionary, a person who's a missionary is a kingdom builder wherever they're at. But what we need to see is, unfortunately, I believe, I mean, I love that saying right there, everyone a missionary. But unfortunately, it's limitations, I believe, are that when you think of missionary, I think our default falls back to overseas. It, it defaults to foreign soil. Because we've been programmed for many, 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 many years that a missionary is someone who goes, who travels and, and does kingdom building somewhere else. And that's okay. And I know the intention. I know Pastor Dill, his heart, when he had that everyone a missionary, his heart is everyone doing the will of God wherever God sends them. Wherever they're supposed to be. Sins, stays, wherever you're at. I know that's the heart behind that. But sometimes I, I, I'm real practical thinking. I'm thinking, okay, how can the message be more clear so that you don't get, um, so you don't excuse yourself out of, this, out of this and think, well, I know God hasn't called me to go to the foreign fields. So therefore, I don't see myself as a missionary. Well, you can no longer have that excuse because you're a kingdom builder. And I really believe that we are going to be about missions. We're going to continue to be about missions. That is one of the cultural, that is one of the values here at New Covenant Fellowship. And it will continue to be a value here. But a bigger value is going to be kingdom building. And whether it's here at New Covenant Fellowship or it's in Kenya or it's in Chiapas or it's in Puerto Penasco or wherever, it's all going to be about his kingdom being established. Amen? And speaking of missions, my heart and my desire. How many of you have your passports? Raise your hand if you have a passport, a valid passport. You could take off and leave right now. Okay, how many of you do not have your passports? Raise your hands, please. Come on, if you don't have them, get your hands up. All right. 
I challenge you to make it your goal. Those of you who don't have your passports, I challenge you to make it your goal to get your passport this year. This year. And here's why. And I don't get any commissions off the passport company, okay? I'm not in some network marketing scheme that if I get 10 people to sign up for a passport, I get 10% off the top. And thir- No, it's none of that. Here's why. Because as kingdom builders, and we'll talk more about this later, another time. But as kingdom builders, we want to be, one of our heart's values is going to be, God, I'm ready to go wherever you want me to go. Amen? Would you say that's your heart? God, I want you to go wherever you want me to go. Now, if God dropped it in your heart and all of a sudden you had this burning passion to go on the mission field, whether it's Mexico or whether it's Africa, and all of a sudden you just had this burning thing in you. And let's say there was a window of opportunity that opened up, a window of opportunity, and people were saying, I need a team of people to go with me to this place, whether it's Haiti, whether it's Kenya, whether it's somewhere. It's a small window of time. And if you didn't have your passport, guess what? You would automatically be disqualified. Automatically. A practical thing can disqualify you from doing what God puts in your heart. And so my encouragement to you is to make it your goal to get a passport. Even if you don't think, you know, he's like, well, I don't think God's going to send me anywhere. I believe he's going to change that. I believe that change. But I would encourage you to get your passport this year and not wait until December 31st to apply for it, but as soon as possible. As soon as possible. And the benefit is, let's say if you win a cruise. So you've got to be practical about this. If you win a cruise and say, hey, if you can accept this right there and go on these dates, you can get this free cruise, blah, blah, blah. If you don't have a passport, guess what? Rats, I missed out. So the practical side benefit of getting your passport is in case you win a cruise, you can go on that cruise. Okay? But when I, uh, I remember way back in the day, a few years back, when I was a youth pastor, I know Jamie remembers those days, back in the day, um, I had an attitude. I mean, I had a heart for the youth of America, and I had an attitude about it. My attitude was, forget about the missions, don't, you know, because I knew Pastor Dale's heart was missions, and I kind of had this little attitude, I don't got time for that. My heart is to win the youth of America. Now, I didn't say that, but I had a kind of an attitude, a chip on my shoulder about that. So whenever I'd hear... Mission kind of stuff, I took it, well, that's for y'all, but that's not for me because I have my assignment. It's about the, the teens of America. And then, you know, when you get an attitude about something, it can be a, a, like a righteous indignation, a good thing. You know, you can get this tenacity. But sometimes it might need to be tweaked a little bit, you know. It might need to be adjusted. And the Lord felt like mine needed to be adjusted. And I remember, I don't know how it all started, but we ended up, um, going on, I remember Sam and I, when we first met Ben Butler, uh, I don't know how, how that came, but, uh, Sam, you still here? Not here. Um, we had to go spy out the land, go see if we were going to be involved in this ministry, way of the cross. How many of you remember Ben Butler and way of the cross way back? And so, uh, so Dale sent me and Sam, we went down, we flew, we landed. Now I thought, cause this is what I would have done. I thought we were going to sit down with Ben at a nice, good Mexican restaurant eat good Mexican food and talk about missions and what, you know, if we got involved, what we would do and everything and, you know, kind of as businessmen, just sit there and talk about it and then get back on the plane and come back home. Well, Ben didn't have any thoughts of that. We got off the plane. He got our luggage 
He put it on a bus. We got on a bus and we went across the border into Mexico. I hadn't eaten all day and didn't get to stop at a Mexican restaurant. Didn't even get to stop at a convenience store to get a Snickers bar, you know, going to be a while. I wish I would have because it was a while. We went right into Mexico, did a meeting, prayed for the sick, saw a lady get miraculously healed. Crazy, crazy miracle. Wonderful. Saw people receive the gospel and everything. And all of a sudden, see, I was thrown on the mission field with no fault of my own. And all of a sudden I was hooked. My attitude changed. There was an adjustment that happened. And it wasn't that all of a sudden I became this, I have to go to the world now. It wasn't that. But it was, God, you are bigger than America. You're not just an American God. See, that was my kind of my concept. It was small. But God is so big and his church is big. And everything began to change. My attitude, my perspective, and then my heart was and how uh, I enjoyed, we enjoyed the serving and, and all the stuff. And so then my heart was be interesting to take the youth on a mission trip to see how that goes. And we took a youth, took a group of youth. I remember Robin and, and the Elliots were the first ones on our first mission trip and everything. And it was incredible. It was incredible. We saw all kinds of wonderful miracles, direct answers to prayer and, and wonderful things. And then I saw how these young people were affected how they were affected and their attitudes changed. And then I was starting to get a clue. And then my heart became, if I can get these young people, because my heart was them to, to burn for Jesus, to be on fire for Jesus, and I saw a practical tool was to get them on the mission field, serving other people, letting God work in them, and then they come back home affected for the kingdom and then want to... Uh, build the kingdom here or wherever God sends them. And that's what I saw happening. But I saw a practical tool was getting out of their zone into a foreign, foreign field. And God has done wonderful things. And as a result, I've had the wonderful privilege of traveling all over the world, seeing some really cool things. God's church is really big and God is bigger and he's awesome. So I say all that to say this. I believe if I were the president of the United States, I'd make it a law. I'm just kidding. My desire is that Everyone here get the opportunity to go on a mission trip. Not because you're called to go on the, to go to the nations necessarily, but because of what the potential. Sometimes kids have gone on the mission field and God, they, they allow God to open them up and their gifts begin to get realized and their desires and passions for Jesus come on, come open. And then they come back here and serve effectively. And that's what I like them to see, like him to do for us. And so I would challenge you, if you've never been on a mission field, a mission trip before, one thing I appreciate about our church is we offer wonderful opportunities to go on a very inexpensive mission trip. You know, we're not talking thousands of dollars, talking a few hundred or a couple of hundred. And so I would challenge you two things to get your passport and then to ask God for opportunities to go on a mission field. And so when Ken and Paula say, Hey, we got this trip coming up. We're going to be going to Chiapas or we're going to be going to Puerto Penasco or Zacatecas or wherever they go. Assume that you're supposed to go and let God tell you otherwise. OK. You OK with that? Am I speaking clear English? I'm getting an unusual look. 
So what are we going to be about here at New Covenant Fellowship? We will be about his kingdom. There are two expect two cultures. If I sum these up, there's two cultures that I believe God wants to develop here. So we're going to be kingdom builders, be about building his kingdom. But then there's cultures that atmospheres kind of relational that we live in that propagate the kingdom building. The first culture, and Lord put this on my heart back in September. No, August, September, August. And he told me that he wants to develop a new covenant fellowship, a culture of expectation. A culture of expectation. See, if there's a scale of from one to ten of expectation and ten is off the charts, like you're just expecting God just to blow your socks off. And one is you're barely on the verge of believing that God still exists. You know, where would we, as far as our expectation of God moving in and intervening and interacting with us, what is our expectation number? You know, is it a three, a five, a seven, a six or whatever? And I'm not asking you to, to label that because we all have different opinions. But whatever the number is, God wants to raise it. He wants to develop a culture of expectation. What does that look like? When we come here as a body, we have this default expectation that we're going to meet with God. Just a given. Hey, I'm going to church to meet with God. In other words, we expect his manifest presence to manifest. We expect his presence, his, his grace just to flow through this place. We expect his provision to manifest healing, deliverance, provision, whether it's financial, dignity be restored, gifts being deposited. In other words, we all come and we expect. It's just like on Christmas morning, most of us, um, we have an expectation that we could wake up Christmas morning and there's going to be presents that we get to indulge ourselves in our kids have that expectation you know they're thinking oh three more days till christmas one more day too and they're freaking out and everything because they have this anticipation and expectation that on that particular day they're going to get some gift or you know they're going to get gifts and they get excited about it now if christmas day came and there was no gifts giving they would be slightly disappointed <laughs> slightly okay they'll be highly disappointed because their expectation was not met. And God's desire is for our expectation to be the same way on Sunday. And not just Sunday, now, but I'm talking about Sunday specifically right now. Where we come together, because Sunday right now is an opportunity for us as, the, as this local body to come together and celebrate together, to fellowship together, and, and things like that. But where we come in, our expectation is we're going to meet with God. God's going to change me. God's going to have his way with me. My needs are going to be met. You know, the, the healing teams, the ministry teams are overwhelmed because people know, hey, I, need, I have prayer, I have needs, so I'm going to go get ministered to. And there's just an expectation in a culture where we expect to meet with God. And see, our faith has been dealt severe blows through circumstances, through trials and all that kind of stuff. So our expectation has gotten knocked down. And what we can tend to do is we can begin to come up with theologies or whatever that makes it okay for expectations to stay low. 
And I don't think that's what God wants. You know, those of you who know me, I have a passion to see people healed. And whether you believe it or not, that passion is still there. I still think about that. Matter of fact, I have plans. <laughs> I have personal plans. Of course, plans for us. But my passion is to get out there again, out there. I won't mention any stores like Walmart. I'm not going to say that. Cause, am I allowed to talk about Walmart from the pulpit? I mean, my, well, I am anyway. I just wonder if I, you know. But I have a passion to see people receive what God has for them in the area of healing. So, well, what about your son? What about him? Because Grant's going through this, does that invalidate God's provision of healing? If people don't get saved, does that invalidate the gospel of Jesus Christ? But what it can cause us to do, though, is back off. You know, because it's like, man, what's going on with my son? How come this isn't happening? And if I allow things to go negative, I can get discouraged, frustrated, or whatever the case is, and I can begin to back off, particularly in the area of healing. But I feel an aggressiveness in me working in the opposite direction, which to me makes me think it's the Holy Spirit. See, there are a number of you out there who have a same passion, if not more, for the healing ministry. There are you out there who have a passion for the prophetic ministry. There are those of you who have a passion for all kinds of different ministries. Many of them that may not have been expressed here yet. And I believe God wants to express them. He wants to develop you and open you up. So the expression of what God has placed in you can be realized here at New Covenant Fellowship. Was that clear? Okay. Let me make sure that was clear. So a culture of expectation. The Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, excuse me, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. So if we want the Holy Spirit to be manifest here, then guess what? There's going to be freedom. There's going to be freedom from bondage. There's going to be freedom from guilt. And condemnation. There's going to be freedom from judgment. There's going to be freedom from bitterness. Unforgiveness. There's going to be freedom from that because his presence is going to overwhelm us. And all we're going to want to do is what he wants us to do. Oh, God, I throw this sin and this junk at your feet. I don't want it anymore because I want you. I want you. I want you. And that bitterness and that, un that unforgiveness that I may have towards my sister is going to pale in comparison to his wonderful glory. And I say, God, I want that. I don't want that bitterness anymore. I throw it down at the feet of Jesus because I want you. Where we don't have to necessarily be exhorted so much to enter in and participate. But it just, we just can't wait. Like maybe it's 10 till, 10. And you're saying, hey, Todd, aren't you going to? Get it going? You know, it's like, hey, go ahead, let's, let's get this thing going. It says, well, we still got 10 more minutes. Why waste time? Let's get after it. Well, we're so anticipating his, his glory, his presence in those things. A culture of expectation. The second one. Culture of honor. 
I believe God wants to develop a culture of honor in this, in this congregation. A culture of honor where we honor one another. Truly honor one another. And even learn what that means. You know, in, in the series that Miguel so beautifully displayed up there, Miguel Munoz, you know, the boxing gloves and everything. Now they're going to be doing a series on honor with the youth. And we need to learn what does it mean to honor my brother and my sister? What does it mean? I believe in this, in this culture of honor, we're going to realize that there are no big people and no little people. That the hierarchy that, we, that the world propagates is not the same that Jesus demonstrates. You know, I really appreciate, you know, me being pastor these last few weeks, you know, all of a sudden being in this role, I appreciate the honor that I felt from you, my friends. I really do. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. I'm not used to it. And I understand a, a little bit, you know, I understand the, the honor for the title and the position. I understand that. But I believe that we all deserve that type of honor. And I believe God wants to change our thinking. Help us understand that it's not about big people and little people. That because I'm pastor, that I'm more important than you because you're not pastor. You know, I was thinking this morning on the way here. Um, you know, I have a bunch of boys. You know, Grant, the nurse was asking, Grant, how many brothers and sisters do you have? He'll say, 18. Lisa has to correct him. No, there's not 18 kids at home, you know, because the nurse's eyes will get big. Oh, my goodness. But I was thinking if, if one of my sons were a doctor or something that we think is prestigious and one was was a general in the military or one was, a, you know, this or that. Different positions, different giftings, different manifestations of, you know, what they're doing. Would I love and esteem this son more? Oh, this son is a lawyer or a doctor. He's my favorite or I love him more than this son who's only, a, you know, a whatever. As parents, is that how we are? So then why do we think God thinks differently? Unfortunately, too many people think, oh, he's a pastor, so God really loves him. Or he has a closer connection. I have the same, same phone that you have. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I believe our thinking needs to be challenged. Because what happens is, it's okay to honor people, but at the time you're honoring someone, what we tend to do is dishonor ourselves. We lift someone up, which is okay, but then we put ourselves down. And Jesus said, when you do this to the least of these, my brother, you've done it unto me. So when you put yourself down, you offend Jesus. Because he died to lift you up. Amen. And so we, we have to learn what it really means to honor one another. We can respect gifts and callings and we can respect titles and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, honor each person as a person, as a child of God, as a son or daughter of the king. 
begin to honor each other and learn what that means and walk in that. Now, right now, of course, we're just talking. But we're going to learn what this means practically, and we're going to learn how to do it, and we're going to begin to do it. Because we can talk about this kind of stuff a lot. Another way in, in this culture of honor, in generation gap. You know, we talk about generational gaps, older, younger. But God wants to bridge that. You know, we, we don't want to be a congregation that's all about a certain age group. You know, we're all about, at New Covenant, we're all about this group, age group. Or we're all about this age group. But we want to be about each other, about the people of God, whether you're two or whether you're 90 or 102. We all serve our purpose, serve, give our supply, allow the gifts and the callings of God to manifest through us together. Now, there's going to be different things and different functions, you know, with age. But we need to learn how to destroy this generational thing that the world has put up. So we've learned in our school systems from the age of whenever we go to school to segregate ourselves. When you're in first grade, you learn to hang out with only first graders. When you're in fifth grade, you learn to only hang out with fifth graders. If you're a fifth grader in school and you're hanging out with a third grader, something's wrong with you. What is wrong with you? What are you hanging out with him for? He's only in third grade. He's not in our class. And so that's been ingrained in us all our lives. And so then we bring it into the church. Oh, those are the teenagers. The rebellious ones you got to watch out for. We don't hang out with them. And it's not an intentional thing that we, we're not even aware necessarily of what's going on. But it's been ingrained in us. And we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And there's only one thing that will do that. The Word of God. The stinking thinking that we have that's been put in us has to change. We need to understand that we can all manifest the kingdom of God just as powerfully, but differently. Just as powerfully, but differently. Remember I shared uh, a number of weeks ago the vision of when someone comes in, they say, I need help. I need to speak to the preacher. I need help. My life's falling apart, dying, or whatever his problem is. And the usher says, come with me. He opens the, you know, it's during the time of praise and worship. He opens the door and he says, anybody in here can help you. Remember me sharing that? That's what I'm talking about. When we recognize the gifts that we're all gifted, we all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same ability to minister to people. Now, we are going to function in different gifts and different things, and that's fine. But we just need to learn to recognize the value in each other. You remember when Jesus said, By this, the world will know that you're my disciples, that you can speak in tongues really loud. Is that not what he said? What was it? Oh, love. I'm sorry. I was looking at the wrong scripture. By the love that we have for one another, that's how the world. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of things that Jesus said. He says, by all these things, this is how this list is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. I don't see a long list. But there's one specific thing he said, this is how they're going to know. By the love you have for one another. And I was thinking today, because I'm practical, it's like, okay, Lord, what does this look like? How does this, this look like? 
And I had this thought. We will know. I will know when I'm walking in love. When I can love in the congregation the person who gets on my nerves the most. The person you think of that may, and what I mean by get on your nerves, maybe they, their personality or whatever grates you. It's just, they're just different. And when you can say to that person, that doesn't mean you have to be their best friends and hanging out, buddy, and that kind of thing. But when you can, from your heart, say, I have your back. To that person, the person who you may be your least favorite, then you know you're walking in honor and true love. Not the world's kind of love, but true love. And that's the goal. That's the goal. Because do you think, if we're walking in that kind of stuff, do you think God's manifest presence would be at a higher level? Hypothetically speaking. Do you think if we're walking in love and we're honoring God and because we're honoring one another, do you think our level of expectation will rise? So I believe that these two are, are related. We're not going to have we're not going to have God's manifest presence in a greater way if we're not walking in honor towards one another. So you may think, wow, CJ, you got a lot of work to do. How are you going to do that? Well, let me tell you. I have no idea. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. We are going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if it doesn't work, you can't blame me. Just kidding. And I do have to tell you, I'm excited. And I know that's, a, that's one of those cliche words, and I hate using cliche words, but I don't know any other words to use, so I'm stuck with the cliche one, so you just have to bear with me, okay? But I truly am excited. Even though I'm on my way back to the hospital this afternoon, we're going to hang out and play some Wii. Got to kick some butt on the Wii station. But, uh... In the meantime, and in the process, as this is going on, we're going to do everything we can to see the kingdom of heaven established here on earth. You know, when Lisa was at the hospital with this young lady yesterday, she was thinking, how can I minister to this young lady? Because it's not all just about our son. Of course, we take care of him, but it's about his kingdom. And we have a, a situation going on that could be a distraction if we allow it. We have to learn to do is as we're ministering and dealing with this situation, okay, how do I continue with the kingdom? And that's something I've been learning. You know, the timing of this whole thing has been crazy. And I believe it's an attack. I believe, you know, there's been attacks and things going on. And it was almost like, and at first I was like, okay, well, I don't have time for this. (laughs) I got to be a pastor now. I don't have time to do with this. And it was, it could have been overwhelming. But then that thing called the grace of God came in. 
And it's like, you know, God, you know, this sounds so dumb, but God is really real. You realize that? And when you go through hardships, that's when you realize, oh, my goodness, you are real. You are really real. When everything's going on okay and there's no trials going on, we can forget how real he is. But when that lion is staring you in the face, about to take your head off, and all of a sudden there's miraculous intervention, like, whoa, God, you are real. And he wants to be right there with us. You know, I had a situation, my wife keeps making fun of me, and she told on me this morning and told some people that I'm not a good horseman. Because, well... Maybe not a good horseman. You remember how I was telling you how I was concerned about the chain on the fence when I was in Mexico? Well, when I got home, it was on there, and so I made sure i got to keep this thing on there. Well, it didn't stay on there one day, and the horse figured out how to get out. And I was on my way to Oklahoma City. And I get a call from our neighbor. says, hey, this is so-and-so. Your horse is out. My horse said, now, you're not talking about my horse. My horse didn't get out. I mean, that's what I thought. My horse said, get out. I just knew that this guy had the wrong number. I just knew it. Just knew it. Because my, my thinking could not accept the fact that my horse was out. And I said, who is this again? And he told me. I was like, I said, what does the horse look like? And he described it. It's like, that's my horse. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't have time for this. You ever been in a situation like that? I do not have time for this. There's a point to the story, by the way. So I, I'm like, what do I do? We're on our way because we're already late. We're going to go to the hospital, celebrate birthdays and everything, hang out and all that kind of stuff. And I got the situation, which I don't have time for. And as he's talking, I said, and I'm thinking now, here's me. Now, see, if Lisa were home, the horse is out. Okay, we got someone who knows how to deal with the situation. That ain't me. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this thing? How am I going to catch? My mind's going crazy. And I asked the guy, I said, hey, do you know how to catch horses? <laughs> now, hold on. That's not that funny, okay? <laughs> now, let me qualify the reason why I asked this guy that question. He has horses, okay? He owns horses next door to us. And that's why my horse was out running along the fence with his horses. That's why I asked the question, all right? All right. So I said, do you know how to catch horses? And he said, yeah, I can catch it for you. And I was like, yes, I'm saved. And then he said, but your dog won't let us in the yard. Before I left, I let my dog out. And she won't, if we're not home, she will not let you in the yard. I mean, she's an awesome dog. And I forgot. So I was thinking he can go let the horse in, but the dog wouldn't let him in the yard. Let him in the yard. I said, okay, how about if I meet you there? I meet you there, and you can catch the horse, I'll meet you there and let you. He said, okay, great. So we're hurrying, getting home, and, um, but to my dismay, I get out of the car, and I see in the distant, distant distance, my horse running. And I see this guy standing with the, what's it called, a halter? Standing there, not even close to the horse, not even close. And I'm thinking, he's supposed to have this horse caught and waiting for me to drive up so I can let it in the yard. And that's not what was happening. And I was like, God, I don't have time for this. I got to get, you know. So anyway, I get out of the car. And I'm like, what do I do? And I run in the house. I think of getting him some food, getting her food. She likes the, what's that stuff? Not the grain, but the other stuff, the big stuff. 
Yeah, the treats. Treats. So I get a handful of those and I go out and I promise, you know, yelling. And she looks. She looks at me. She looks over. But then she takes off anyway. And so I run across the field. I get closer and I call her and she comes to me. So she starts to eat this stuff out of my hand. Now I have, what's that called? Halter. I have a halter. Why are you guys laughing at me? All right, so I have this stuff in my hand, and she's eating out of my hand. I have this halter, but I don't know how to put it on. So, like, it didn't work. So she backs off. Well, the guy's coming up behind her, and he has a halter, too. He's the professional that's going to catch her for me. And then she looks at him and says, I don't think so. And she takes off, running back down the street. I'm like, oh, man, I don't have time for this. And so anyway, I call her again. She comes back, and then he comes, and then she runs behind me. But the good news is, is we get her trapped in her backyard. So there's kind of an area, so we got her trapped. So anyway, so they grab oats, and they're, you know, the lady's trying to feed them and then get the halt on her, but, but promise ain't having nothing to do with that. So 45 minutes from that point we had her in the backyard, they're trying to get this thing on her. I'm praying, God, give them wisdom. God, give them, because see, they're the professionals. They are the professional horse catchers, so I'm asking God to give them wisdom so they can do their job. God, give them wisdom. I'm praying in tongues. I'm praying hard. God, give him wisdom. Give him wisdom. Oh, Jesus, please. Because it's getting darker and darker and darker. And it's not working. They're, everything, they'll get real close, real close, and then she'll bolt. God, please give him wisdom. Please give him wisdom. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, remember, she likes her butt rubbed. It was the Holy Spirit, okay? And I said, that's right. And I said, hey, she really likes her, no, scratch. She really likes her butt scratched. He said, what? I said, she really likes her butt scratched. So, so he was trying to scratch her butt, but she wasn't letting him. And then trying all this and trying to still. And then he said, if you want to try this, go ahead. I said, okay. So I go up to her. Hey, girl, hey, girl. And I begin to scratch her butt real hard. Real hard. She's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so I was scratching. But, and then within five minutes of me doing that, they get the halter on her and catch her. Then five minutes. This took almost an hour and a half. But then in the last five minutes, because I'm scratching her butt, she um, gets caught. And then we take her home. And, and life is wonderful again. And then I found out this morning I left the chain open again. That's what she was telling me about. But anyway, here's the interesting thing that I learned from this. Besides... Not leaving the chain off. That's important. I was expecting God to speak to the professionals. Obviously, you can see I have no idea about horses. Okay, maybe it's not that obvious. I know nothing about these things, but I do love this animal. She's pretty cool. And I was praying, God, give these professionals. And I was serious because they were the ones that knew what they were doing. The Holy Spirit chose to give me the answer. Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and through you, not the professionals. And that's what we need to get. We need to see that even in our inadequacies, God wants to and delights in using us. Amen? Amen. Next week we'll start talking about, okay, this is all nice and fluffy or whatever, but how do we begin to move in this direction? 
How do we begin to move in the direction of a culture of expectation and a culture of honor? Because we are kingdom builders. And it's going to come a point in time if someone ever came across you and said, what is your church about? What, are you, what do you guys get excited about? Your response will be, we are kingdom builders. What in the world is a kingdom builder? You have an opportunity to share that, share the gospel, get them saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, all that good stuff. And life will be great. Amen. But we're going to start talking about this in more detail. Practical. Let's get practical about this. And let's move together. And I am really excited. I am truly excited about what God's going to do. I believe the church is going to grow. I really believe that. And it's not just a cliche statement. I believe it's going to grow because where there is life, where the presence of the Lord is, and not that he hasn't been here before, but I believe that God's going to give us strategies as we love each other. The world is going to say, I want that. What you guys got, I don't understand it, but I want it. And it's going to be a magnet because people want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to know that they have a purpose. And your purpose and your giftings and your callings is not all about my vision. It's about the kingdom of heaven. And my desire is to see you grow in the fullness of what God has for you. And you may, God may move you into a place to where he launches you out somewhere to start a work or to be a leader somewhere. I don't foresee everybody staying here so we can have our nice little club. But it's God, how do you want to build this thing? How do you want to build your kingdom through us and however he wants to do it? We're going to work together and see God do some incredible things. Amen? Amen. Stand with me if you would. I was just informed that the doctors told Grant that he's coming home this week. And so what do I get out of that? I better hurt and kick his butt and we now because we won't have too many opportunities for that at home. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just stand before you. And we say, God, have your way in my life. Have your way in this church. And Lord, we do mean it. We do mean it, Father. Have your way. I want to draw and I choose, Father, to draw closer to you. I choose to surrender more of myself. The things that I'm holding on to. Lord, they're going to begin to, comp- to pale in comparison to your wonderful glory and just your, your presence, oh God. And that's what I want. I want to be so addicted to you that I don't care about this other stuff. And Father, I do thank you for the level of your love that is already expressed in this body. The love that we have for one another, the support, the encouragement. I thank you for, and I celebrate, Father, what we already have. Because it is wonderful. 
And Lord, we just say thank you. We say thank you, Father. And we want you to be honored. We want your kingdom to be manifest in this place. And we thank you that you are allowing us to be a part of it. And we give you praise and honor this morning, Father. And we say thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.